Welcome to the Service Academy Sorority, a space where women that have graduated from the service academies can share their stories and build a sense of camaraderie and sisterhood. This episode features Krisha Pohl, a 1997 graduate from the U.S. Coast Guard Academy. In this episode, you'll hear how Krisha was initially drawn to the academy as a way to fulfill a lifelong dream of going to the Olympics for dinghy sailing, how she balanced her career and training post-graduation, and why she eventually left the Coast Guard only to ultimately recommission years later with a new desire to serve. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Krisha. Thank you, Victoria. Can you tell everyone where you're from, what school you went to, and when you graduated? Yes, I am from, I born and raised in Alameda, California. I went to the United States Coast Guard Academy in New London, Connecticut, and I'm a graduate of, ni- of the class of 1997. Awesome. And can you tell everyone who you are today in one to two lines? Sure. I am Lieutenant Commander Krisha Victoria Pohl. I am currently serving my 20th year in the United States Coast Guard. I am assigned to PAC Area Command, and my current assignment includes overseeing personnel programs for the PAC Theater. Nice. 20th year, you said? Yes. Yes, ma'am. Wow. Oh, this is going to be fun. Okay. (laughs) Okay, but to start, let's go back to the beginning when you were deciding where to go to college. Uh, What made you choose a service academy, and what made you specifically choose the Coast Guard Academy? Well, I am a sailor. I grew up sailing in the San Francisco Bay, racing dinghies, and racing with my dad on his race boat, sailboat. And I knew from the get-go, ever since high school, that one of my goals was to race in college. And back in the late 80s and 90s, New England was the area of the United States that had just powerhouse uh, dinghy sailing, dinghy collegiate racing. And I know that sounds, I mean, it was just like any other sports dream was to go and race for a top school. And so I I put New England schools on, on the map. And when it came down to it, It was a neighbor. So I was looking at, actually I was looking at schools like Boston College, Boston University, Brown, um, and Tufts. They were all all top programs. But it wasn't until just a chance meeting with my neighbor, who I actually spent a lot of time with, his son went to the Naval Academy in the 80s and had said, and I'd never considered a service academy ever in my life. And, he said, why don't you consider one of the academies? I, you know, the Naval Academy has a great sailing program. And I did not disagree because the Naval Academy has and always, always been a powerhouse sailing program. And, uh, and he also mentioned, well, the Coast Guard Academy has a sailing team. Being a California girl, I was like, yeah, no, I'm a, hum- I'm, I'm a you know, peace, love, rock and roll kind of a girl. <laughs> I don't want to go serve in the military or go to war. Um, so I kind of, I, I didn't pay much attention, but then of course I got the, the, the flyers in the mail and I started, I, I put the one to the Naval Academy to the side. I knew I didn't want to go and be part of like, um, like a, a what I considered like the true military. 
So I looked into the Coast Guard Academy and like the byline is we're a humanitarian life-saving service. And that really resonated with me, but I was really looking to go to school and race sailboats and be in the area of the country that um, was really known for its, its dinghy racing. Mm. And so that's what I did. And I just pursued it and I applied and uh, went, did my college tour with my dad visited Connecticut College, which is across the street from the U.S. Coast Guard Academy. And I remember sitting down at lunch with my dad, having visited both schools. And I mean, for me and for him too, he knew it was a no-brainer. In my heart, this was just, the academy was going to be the school for me. I knew going into it, it wasn't going to be easy, but I was going to be able to achieve my, my personal goals by going there which was to race in college and then eventually launch an Olympic campaign. Hmm. So it sounds like you didn't even consider like Air Force and West Point. Um, did you consider the Merchant Marine Academy? You know, I, at the time, I did look at the Merchant Marine Academy, but I, I saw it as attached to the Navy. Hmm. And... Um, I, I just disregarded it. And, and Air Force, obviously, no, that wasn't going to happen. And West Point, I think, barely had a sailing team at the time. Yeah. And, but I, I looked at the academy as like, okay, well, I, not only am I going to achieve my, you know, or um, achieve my sailing goals to eventually launch an Olympic campaign, but once I graduate, I'm going to have a job. Yeah. And that was a big deal to my family and me as well. I didn't, cons it didn't seem to be a big deal when I was in high school. Cause it's like, Oh, I could always come home and teach sailing, do what a lot of the kids did in my, in my town, which was, you know, teach at camp, um, teach it, you know, find, find programs to teach at and live at home for a while after graduation. But it was a big deal in my parents that you're going to be an officer when you graduate. This is huge. Mm -hmm. Um, and I didn't finally, that didn't really resonate with me until the, the closer I got to graduation. I was all about the sports. Mm. So it sounds like your parents were very supportive of this decision. Um, what was the atmosphere at like at your high school where was it rare for someone to go across the country to a service Academy? Absolutely. I think maybe I knew of, I think the counselors, they didn't, it, the academies were barely on their radar for our high school counselors. Um, I went to a, it's an oxymoron, but I went to a very liberal high school, uh, a liberal Catholic high school in Oakland. Um, and they did not push the academies. Um, mm. So when I looked, they were into, you know, the liberal arts um, schools up and down the West Coast and on the East Coast. But my, I remember my counselor was like, the, the Coast Guard Academy looks fantastic. And it's, she was worried that it's a very, you know, the academies are very tough. And I was, you know, just above, barely above average in my grades. Um, she's like, this is going to be a stretch for you. But I think for me, um, I was a strong writer and um, I, the sports, the sailing pushed me over the edge. Mm. So did you get in right away then or was there a struggle? There wasn't a struggle. I was, um, but it, what I was given my acceptance letter when I went to visit. So I don't know if they were waiting to either accept or deny me. And I, maybe they were waiting till I met them in person to see if I would be a good fit for the Academy. But yeah, I didn't get an acceptance letter in the mail. It was given to me on the spot. Oh, interesting. So, so you flew out for a visit 
before you even knew whether or not you were going to go there, before you even knew you were accepted there. Um, yes. Yeah. Interesting. And they gave you an acceptance letter on the spot. I never heard of that before. Um, yeah. So, so was that your first time uh, flying across the country and going to the East Coast? I, it was my first, it was, I don't know if my, it was, I don't think it was my first time flying to the Academy. I have flying across the East Coast. No, because I, I had done some racing as a high schooler, um, like in Florida and in Chicago and things like that. But, um, and I had made a visit, I did some sailing in New, in Newport, Rhode Island. So it wasn't my first trip to the East Coast, but it was definitely my first trip with just me and my dad. It was mm. very special, like bonding trip. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it was our chance to sort of explore the colleges together. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when you went for that visit, what did you feel about that military structure and lifestyle? Because I know, I know at the Merchant Marine Academy, because I did sell dinghy sailing at the Merchant Marine Academy for a while, um, that, that vibe with the dinghy sailing team is always like very chill and like, mm -hmm. you know, sailing. And then like, there's this real dichotomy with, the military lifestyle. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was nervous. Um, you know, I saw, I remember, uh, the third class cadet was on the sailing team. He took me around and he had that exact same laid back sailor vibe. Um, and it's not that he duped me, not at all, but he's like, your fourth class year is going to be hard. Uh, because he was the same, you know, came back from a very laid back non-military household. Um, but yeah, I, I remember having lunch in the wardroom and seeing all these crazy kids like squaring corners, kind of being yelled at and laughed at at the table while they're eating. They weren't able to look around. And I was like, this is, this is crazy. Um, but I knew for me, like, I had the reassurance from the kids on the dinghy team that you'll get through it. It's going to be fine. Everybody does it. And the, the, what we called the, the sailing, um, where we launched the boats, it was called the rock Jacob's rock. Um, very far, like one of the furthest spots away from chase hall. And like this, this was, they reassured me that this will be your refuge. You come down mm -hmm. here to get away from it all. And, and I did, our coaches were civilian and they really just brought that sense of normalcy that I needed as a cadet. You know, as a California girl, I, I had a mm. lot of freedom. My parents, um, let me drive halfway the, across the country by myself by the time I was 16, um, did regattas and was driving with friends, high school friends down to SoCal quite often for events mm. all the way up to Seattle. I mean, they really gave me a long leash. And so just to have it tightened up by the Academy was, was really, was not easy, but I was going to get through it because for me, the sailing, the sailing was going to get me, um, through it, through it all. Yeah. Yeah. So now I know you had this sense of, um, that you wanted to, uh, potentially sail while you were at the Academy with hopes of maybe going to the Olympics. And, um, also that, you know, you had this perspective that you're, you know, it's, you're probably going to have a job afterwards because you obviously have to serve and give back. So did you have any clarity though, about what you wanted to do after you graduated or you just knew that you'd have some structure there? I, the structure was probably the most important for me. 
Yeah. That I would have a job, that I would have, you know, a way to eventually pay for an Olympic campaign um, using my own money. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I feel, I feel like I'm talking about this and it seems very selfish. Like that sense of service didn't really start coming through until I was serving and was an officer. Um, it doesn't sound selfish. I mean, you chose that academy for the humanitarian aspect of it. <laughs> you yeah. Know? You sound like a high school kid who is focused <laughs> on their sport, you know, and right. like, you know, in fact, you yeah. had some perspective that getting a job afterwards was part of the deal. So, you know, um, having something lined up like the Coast Guard, you know, yeah, yeah you, you just sound like a high school kid. <laughs> 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 um, okay, so so let's dive a little bit then into your time at the academy itself. So you get accepted. It sounds like everyone supported you back home. Um, what was it like that first day? Like, did you go to the academy yourself? Did your parents come? How did you feel? Oh man, you're bringing back. I mean, everything to me is, there's so much I remember about the academy and there's so much I forget, but reporting in day or swearing in day is one day that I absolutely remember. I remember the night before we left, I spent, you know, the night uh, with my best friends, a bunch of girls had spent the night and a couple of boys came over and man, I just didn't want that night to end because I was leaving for college first, very early in July and uh, flew out with my sister, my mom, my dad. We got a bed and breakfast somewhere in New London, Connecticut and um, hung out for a few days before reporting in day. And man, when they came um, to drop, when they came to drop me off, guys, so weird. I'm like tearing up, but um, yeah, that was a really hard day. Um, just that loss that there was, just, there was a bit of a sense of loss of freedom. Um, and, but so much to look forward to, but it was scary because yeah, I mean, I show up and I remember second class Chris Martin, he's yelling at me in the hallway already. And I hadn't even been there like half an hour. Mm. Um, don't call me, you know, whatever, you know, they're just being, doing their job. Um, you know, I am a sir. I am not your friend, that kind of thing. And I was like, oh my Lord, what am I getting myself into? And I remember as my parents drove off or as they walked away, just like thinking and my eyes were screaming, like, don't leave, like, please don't leave. Um, somehow, gosh, I, somehow I made it through that first day. Um, but we were all scared. I had a great first roommate. She ended up not making it through the rest of the school year, but we were close because she was just as scared and thought like, this is the craziest place we've ever been. Um, but you know, those first few weeks as a plebe or as a, um, swab, it's so bonding that just the, the buffing of the decks and, and just looking at each other and you know, you're having fun and maybe you should be having fun, but there's just something funny about that whole thing and, mm-hmm. and doing pushups and, and sweat dripping off your brow and um, the mixing of all the sweat as you're like, you know, um, dragging yourself under the human tunnel in the hot, sweaty hallway. And, um, Clock orderly. That whole. Do you guys? Did you guys have clock orderly at the Merchant Maritime Academy? No, no. Oh my God! It was the dumbest thing. You have basically a fourth class cadet lines up at every clock throughout uh, the the Chase Hall, 
it basically counts down five minutes until lunch. Mm. And you know, you're, you're, you're yelling at a clock to an empty hallway. You're counting down five minutes to go, four minutes to go. What's being served for lunch? What's on the menu for dinner that night? Um, what are current events are and four minutes to go. Anywho, it's just, it's so silly. It's so <laughs> silly and scary all at the same time. Yeah. 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 It's funny too. Like now looking back, you realize how young you were. It's like, wow. Yeah. yeah. Now, <laughs> now at this point, um, you know, leading up to going to the academy and then getting there, did you have any sense that you were a minority being a woman in this system? Like, what was that like for you? You know, I didn't, not at all. Uh, one, because one being one, a minority, my mom is Philip has, I'm half Filipino. My parents mm -hmm. are, um, I'm first generation American and two, like being a girl or being female. I just, that just, that just wasn't a thing to me. One, because of my upbringing and, uh, you know, pretty open liberal place in the Bay area. And then my high school was just like all different colors and, um, your, your religious preferences or your sexual preferences. I mean, that was just all, um, didn't matter. Yeah. So I kind of grew up with that. And then, you know, honestly, getting to the Academy, we had one of the largest admitted groups of females. It wow. whittled down. We ended up not graduating with uh, a big percentage of women, but we started out with a lot of girls. So I couldn't tell. And there were lots of yeah. different colors. You know, we had black, African-Americans, brown, um, um, and some Asian, we had some, um, Asian American kids. Um, but yeah, no, being, being female, I felt like we were pretty close. It felt like we were almost 50%. I don't think we were absolutely 50%, but I think we ended up graduating with just a, a third females, but that's because we started out with 280, 280 students. And we graduated with maybe 140, 150. We lost a lot of kids. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's huge. <laughs> that is huge. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, so let's, let's take a minute and go back and talk about all the highlights of the Academy. So you, so you get out of your swab summer which is mm -hmm. what I believe you guys call it there. <laughs> I'm yep. finally like, I'm trying to get a handle on all the academies <laughs> and what they call it. Um, so you get out of Swab Summer. Um, how did things go for you? How did academics go? How did the, you know, getting into the regiment go? What was that like? I was not a top performer, not going to lie. I struggled with the military bearing. Um, I like to have fun. I didn't, I, while I tried to take it seriously, or because if you didn't, you would get in trouble. I just, I was not, I never had the shiniest shoes. My, my deck was never the shiniest. I was always just wanting, I was just wanting to get out on the water and, and practice and hang out with the coaches at Jacob's Rock, hang out with my friends. But, um, okay. So going back to Swab Summer, did I, I don't know how I made it through, you know, I was able to run and keep up. I could keep up with the push-ups. Um, physically I, I was, I was pretty darn good. Um, but when it came to the academics that first year I did great, you know, I think I was just above a three Oh my first quarter, my first semester. 
And then I just kind of slipped into being average. Maybe my academics were a little bit below average. I wasn't great. School was hard. And, and I ended up changing majors from, I started out at civil, civil engineering, realized that trying to be an engineer was going to interfere with me being an exceptional athlete. And I went to a humanities major and ended up finishing with a BS in government. Uh, I put, I was a strong writer in school, so it just made sense that I went into a major that capitalized on my strengths. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I, yeah, so it was, so school was challenging, you know, came home for the first time in my life with like a D in economics, lots of time spent tutoring or getting tutored from classmates or teachers a um, lot of late nights just trying to keep up with homework. I mean, your first, I remember talking to my friends who were going to the UCs and they were barely getting, you know, 16 credits. And here I am, 22, 23 credits a semester that included yeah. labs, sometimes two at a time, right? Between chem and physics. Yeah. Um, and then some of, we had to take some basic engineering courses, which had a lab. Yeah. But uh yeah, no, I I'm glad that when I eventually made it and got into grad school grad schools that um that there's a letter that goes with your undergraduate um your grades that says, please recognize that these grades are not always reflective of the student. Yeah. Uh there's a you know, there's a whole military aspect that our students have to follow. So yeah. Um so how did you deal with that? you know, that, that loss of a sense of freedom that you were anticipating and that you felt on that first day, did that continue to come out for you? You know, I was able to really find freedom one through my sport Mm -hmm. and the relate, the, the relationships I had with my teammates was a very freeing thing and my best friends at the Academy. And then also we had the sailing team was very unique in that we practiced with the team from Connecticut college, which was across the street. And so hanging with them brought a little more freedom to my world as well, because now all of a sudden I have friends that are going to the liberal arts school that I probably should have gone to in the first place that are sharing their freedoms with me and, you know, just going into and hanging out in their dorm rooms on the weekends um, in such a normal place. And that to me was just enough to keep me going. But Mm. really it was the, my sport, the sport of sailing, um, I was so lucky to have that because if I didn't, I don't know necessarily that the Academy would have been the best place for me. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. So, I mean, it definitely sounds like the sailing team and and being able to, you know, compete in that way was just a huge, huge highlight for you and really made it all worth it for you. Yeah, I, I was using my experiences racing on the dinghy team to launch me into like being an Olympic class sailor. Wow. Now, now tell me a little bit more about that. Like your time at the Academy, did the sailing team, did it do that for you? Did it really feel like you were getting all the skills that you needed and all the time you needed out on the water? And yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think I got some of the best coaching, um, 
at the academy over those four years and just some of the best racing, just tight racing, lots of schools, lots of different people racing every weekend, basically from September through the end of, of November, every single weekend. So I was one of the lucky ones. You know, I, I didn't have, I wasn't mandated to go to the football games because I was always traveling. <laughs> I didn't have to get, you know, the fourth class, yeah. they have to go to every yeah. football game. I didn't, yeah. I, I think sad to say to my, to my class, but I think I made it to one football game. And that was by the time I was a senior yeah. And it was probably to cheer on my girlfriends who were the um, cheerleaders, you know, <laughs> it was like to cheer them on. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but so, it, yeah. It sounds like you found your groove at the academy between the sailing team and then finally getting into a major that really fit you better than like civil engineering. I absolutely did. You know, yeah. my best friend was my crew, my crew, Frances. She was my best friend. She had this whole network because she went to NAPS. So she had her whole NAPS crew to support her and they eventually became, I became very close with them. Um, and then just the sailing team. And then you, and then I was really bonded with my, um, my classmates in my company. You know, mm. a lot of them did a lot of different sports. I, there were very few folks in my company um, from third, third through first a year that were on the sailing team. Mm. So that was kind of cool too. Yeah. Tell me some more about other highlights at the Academy or memorable moments. Well, well I'll, I'll bring this up and I don't, hopefully it answers the question, but Bay, the Bay area is diverse, but where I grew up in Alameda wasn't that diverse. Um, and I was not in, kind of embarrassed of my mom and my dad, you know, we were first generation American. A lot of my friends were local Alamedans local to the Bay area and just really didn't celebrate their cultures. My dad is Polish and my mom is Filipino and just, they really tried hard to Americanize and just let us be normal American kids. So we didn't eat a lot of, we just didn't experience a lot of their culture growing up. By the time I got to the Academy, um, my best friends were Filipino, black, Korean, and they celebrated their cultures. And so here I was finally able to identify with my Filipino sisters in the, how they grew up um, in both on both coasts and my girlfriends who is, who's Korean and um, my girlfriend who's black and, and just, I don't know, I gained a sense like memorable moments was just major confidence building in who I am and where I come from comfortable in my own skin, comfortable with my crazy, you know, mixed hair just huh. comfortable. And I'm really proud of that because it wasn't until I was probably 21 that I was really just celebrated who my parents were. And the fact that I was a first generation, that I am a first generation American woman, um, that my parents, how, you know, how hard they worked to give me that foundation, um, give me the confidence and that I could go to the Academy and make it through. I mean, they were my biggest cheerleaders, but yeah, I am so very grateful for my girlfriends for bringing that out in me. <laughs> That's it's just so interesting, right? Cuz like your parents like they didn't expose you to that, you know, in mm -hmm. in liberal California and it yeah. took you going to you know, the Coast Guard Academy in this kind of contained environment um to really like feel that. I mean, did you ever express that to your parents and explain that or share that with you them? You know, 
I think it came out with, I just, I think it, I don't think I ever explicitly expressed that to them. And I think I will share that with them, but it, it came out with like, mom, let's go down to daily city and I want some Filipino food. Yeah. Um, let's go hang out with my cousins. I wanted to hang out with my cousins a lot more. I didn't really hang out with my cousins too much growing up. Um, uh, just like, you know, I don't know. There's just something about Filipina sisterhood that just made me a little more open to accepting just my, what my, what my mom ex, um, experienced kind of in her childhood and before she came over to Canada yeah. or to the United States via Canada. Huh. Um, wow. Anywho, it was, and like when I, I had a, I lived in DC for a little bit and I really wanted to get involved with the activities at the embassy, you know, the Polish embassy, the Pol Polish embassy and get involved in some of their um, public activities and same with the Filipino embassy. So I went to some events, just celebrated who I was and with people who, who are um, same, same ethnicities. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. I could definitely see that being a memorable moment for sure. Obviously like, very transformative uh, in your life. Um, were there any other experiences you wanted to talk about, positive experiences you wanted to talk about at the Academy? Yeah, I just, I guess just really my friendships. I mean, I, I can think of lots of times I just had the most fun with my friends, but I remember it seems so benign now, but, you know, we weren't, as fourth class, we weren't allowed to go out on Friday nights. And I remember one night we were getting ready for room inspection on Saturday morning. And there was just a bunch of us sitting around um, my room or maybe by my, one of my girlfriend's rooms and getting ready for room inspection. And I just remember thinking, this is so lame, but I am having so much fun. The closeness that you feel with your classmates, you just like, cherish what you cherish because you just don't get that closeness. I don't think you get that sense of closeness ever again. And I don't think, well, my sister went to a liberal arts, uh, university. She, and she has very good friends. I don't think that her, her, her closeness with her girlfriends, I just don't think runs as deep as mm. the closeness that I feel with my friends because of those silly, silly things that you do and you go through together. Like, you know, running, being clock orderly and having your best friend like laugh and, and tease you from inside her room while you're trying to spew out the countdown to freaking lunch, <laughs> um, you know, and, and tease you and try to make you break, um, your military bearing, you know? Yeah. The, those I, things, those memories are unforgettable. Well, and you also do your, your summers, right? You do go on these big trips in the summer. Do you do go on any of those with your friends? Yeah, so that was a highlight was my summer cruise on board the Coast Guard Cutter Bark Eagle as a firstie. I, what had happened to me, I was very lucky to get on the Eagle because it was a year that it was going over to Europe and for the firsties get to go for the entire year and um, the third class cruise is split in half. And I had had this epiphany and I think my initial assignment, my first class cruise was on a 378. And I remember thinking to myself, you know what, I'm on the verge of, like I wasn't doing well academically and I just felt like, and I had gotten into some trouble um, 
and so was kind of low on the list militarily as well. So I was just, I felt like I got to do something to shape up. And I remember asking the new XO of the Eagle at the time, who was my calculus teacher, and he happened to be a sailor. And I remember going to him and saying, would you consider me to be a first class cadet on board the Eagle this summer? I think I can do much better on the Eagle than I could showcase my potential as an officer on, on a 378. And, you know, somehow he worked his magic and my assignment was changed. And that was a very transformative summer for me. The, again, more bonding, true, real leadership experiences of success and failure. I, I went for my DWO board. Only one of the firsties actually succeeded in, in achieving DWO. What is and a I, DWO? Oh, sorry, deck, deck watch officer. Oh, so it. basically being on, on the bridge of the ship and, and driving and overseeing the operation of the ship without a senior officer on. Mm -hmm. um, you it. are the senior officer on watch. And um, I even extended my my cruise that summer to stay on after all the, all my classmates left to go home on leave. I, I extended my cruise for another two weeks mm. to, to uh, try and sit for a board, a, a deck watch officer board. And I, I wasn't successful. I, I didn't make it through. It was a lot of pressure on me and I, I kind of cracked, but that's okay. Like it's an experience I'll never forget, but I bonded with one of the recently graduated ensigns. She and I shared a room for two weeks and, you know, I looked up to her still do. And, um, yeah, that was just an amazing cruise, like real, like I, I was really felt like, oh my God, I'm now looking back. You don't realize it when you're going through it at the time, but wow, you're really leading these teams. You're teaching these kids how to sail a big bark, yeah. um, how to stand watch, how to, you know, make sure you, you're not late for watch and, um, how to be a good shipmate. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. It sounds like you had a great trip. And you went to Europe, you said. We did, yeah. I, I actually, I had nationals um, that year. So I got to meet the ship over in Ireland. Ireland to Germany. Captain wanted to take oh, Germany to Russia. Captain needed a, a weekend off. So we sailed to Sweden, had like a weekend in Sweden. And then um, we went back to England. And that's where my classmates got off. And I stayed on for another, for a little bit more of the cruise. And mm -hmm. oh man, it was just, it was so fun. <laughs> so fun. Oh, that's awesome. All right. Well, let's, let's dive a little bit into some of the lowlights at the academy. One of the lowlights was I was not a good student. I don't know what happened. School was really hard. I focused a lot on sailing and just trying to make it through all the military hoops I needed to achieve. Um, was not a good student. I am a good student now. Like I did great in grad school, but I struggled academically. Um, was never really on the verge of getting kicked out because of my academics, but coupled with my military bearing, I, I think the commandant had had uh, the commandant cadets had his eye on me. Mm. Um, Your focus was also a little different too. Your focus was very much so, very much on the dinghy team and sailing and that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that was okay. And then I think, honestly, one of the other lowlights was there, there were some times where the guys did not see the women as their equals. And I, like, I, I, I remember walking into a bar and these guys were supposed to be our friends. And they, they, we walked in, a bunch of my girlfriends and I, we walked into a bar excited to see who we thought were our friends, the guys. And that they started booing us. 
And it was mm. really embarrassing. And that made me feel really bad. I remember some of the guys who were there. Um, and uh, while well, one of them, I think, actually even apologized to one of my best girlfriends, I don't know if I could ever really forgive him. But mm. that was, that just, that just really made me feel bad. Like, why? Yeah. Why were they treating us that way? Why were they booing us? We were their friends when we're back in Chase Hall. You know, they leaned on us for support to help them with homework. And um, we all lined up together, cheered each other on when we were swabs. Mm. Why? I just don't get that. I don't think the Academy is like that anymore. Yeah. Uh, that's tough, though. You know, you go through so much with them and you build this bond. And then that must have felt like just betrayal, you know? Like, yeah. 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 And I never really understood that. I think, and then there were also some caddy women at the Academy and 20 years later, I remember sitting around a table at our 20 year reunion and it, we, there were a bunch of us, a couple dozen of us. And we were like, why weren't we friends earlier? And why weren't we friends earlier or as, as good of friends? And we were, it was funny. We were able to pinpoint it to like one individual who ended up not even graduating. We're like, ah, there was that one girl who tried to fracture all the different groups yeah, yeah girls oh girls <laughs> <laughs> but now you know now I can call on any of those girls from my class yeah. and ask for help or insight or get a recommendation it's pretty fantastic that bond yeah. even though we may not have been close at the yeah. time but now we sure we sure are yeah yeah that's awesome that's awesome I know I feel this very similarly like I didn't really have very many strong bonds with the women in my class but man, oh man, do I feel bonded to them now? It's yes. so strange. Yeah. And yeah. we're lucky because our academies were smaller. So we've really yes. got to know the women. Yeah. Yeah. Um, even post-graduation. Yep. Yeah. Um, were there any other major lowlights you wanted to talk about? So um, yeah, I imploded at the nationals in 96. Um, came off winning the New England Championship, was, which was probably a harder event than to qualify for nationals. Um, our, our, New England, our New England qualifiers were harder than the nationals themselves. And man, I finished probably fourth to last. I don't know what my problem was. I just couldn't get together. Mm. Um, had a different, little bit of a different coach who was there supporting, uh, my regular crew wasn't there. She'd kind of taken the semester off, um, and really tried to replicate, replicate what I was doing at the New Englands, uh, just a little bit, a little earlier before, before the nationals in Wisconsin. Um, that was tough. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I really, I still don't know what happened that one, Yeah. but I, I, I think about that one. Yeah. And I definitely cry. Yeah, that was, that was a tough loss. That was the summer before the, my first class cadet cruise. Wow. Wow. Oh. All right. Well, well, tell me, you're at the academy. Uh, what was the goal as you approached graduation? You're this political science major. You've got the dinghy sailing team going. I know that didn't really, it sounds like it didn't really end the way you wanted it to end, but you still were sailing. So what was the still goal post-graduation? Post what was the goal? I was going to get my commission and I was going to keep working towards the 2000 Olympics. Okay. And I was going to 2000 Olympics. I knew that the Olympic trials were going to be in San Francisco. And, um, I was going to, I requested, I got a ship out of the Bay area in Alameda 
So my hometown, I was able to come home and practice on my home waters when, when the ship was in port. Um, yeah. And I was just going to do whatever I could to have a commission, keep my commission and sail for the coast guard. That was the goal. Okay. So kind of like, you know how like the DOD academies have full-time athletes mm-hmm. and they, they compete and that's all they're really, all they're really required to do is just like work out at the Olympic training center and shoot at the range and qualify for the Olympics. Yeah. I wanted to be that person for the coast guard for sailing. Yeah. For sailing. Yeah. And, um, what, how did you, how were you able to make that happen for yourself as you approach graduation? Was that something that, that was possible? Yeah, absolutely. Anything's possible. I just got to keep asking the right people. It's true. Um, I, I, I wrote a letter to our superintendent basically asking for consideration. Maybe I wrote it to OPM. I can't remember whoever does the assignments at, at the Academy. And, um, I asked for a ship. I needed to be based in the Bay area because that was going to be helpful to be in my home waters, um, to train and practice in preparation for the 2000 Olympic trials. And I was a graduate in 97. So it wasn't too, you know, the Olympic trials weren't far off the horizon after I graduated. And, um, Sure enough, I got a ship out of Alameda. That wasn't hard to do. There were four 378s at the time, and I was able to get um, one of one of them. And and then when I reported to my ship, uh, and as the trials got closer and closer, I requested to depart my ship early, which is probably not the best thing for my career, um, so that I could train on a more full time basis without being hindered by getting underway for long patrols. Sure enough, I thought my, you know, at first my captain said no. I waited till the second captain showed up. He said yes and worked with OPM to get me a shore based assignment here in Alameda. And I was able to train, you know, when I could, when I wasn't working, kind of an eight to four job. And I was able to train on the weekends. I started asking for permissive orders to, to train away from San Francisco, like travel to Florida, go to Europe. And the Coast Guard at the time couldn't have been truly more accommodating. It was very, um, like it hadn't been done before, as far as I, as far as I know, hadn't really been done before. I think they'd had a few Olympic athletes qualify for the Olympic team before, but never in kind of this quasi training slash active duty capacity. So that was pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. So, so what happened? Like, did you, did you go to the Olympics? I didn't make it. I was fourth at the Olympic trials, which is pretty darn good considering that really I wasn't, good. Yeah. it was, I wasn't, you know, I, I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't have the same resources as the girls that were training full time, but I was doing my darn best. Um, cause I was still working most of the time and then just taking off a week or two weeks here or there to attend a regatta or to attend a, a training event. And, um, you know, I didn't have a lot of money, so I was using equipment that was, I was using the best equipment that I could get. It wasn't tested. I had never really tested anything, but I just kind of had stock equipment, which was fine. Um, yeah, and I sailed my heart out in 2000. The trials were in the Berkeley Circle, and I had a blast racing. My parents were there watching me every day, had some friends and family come and watch, and I wasn't disappointed. Like, fourth was fourth was meant to be for me. I I was sad. And I think, 
She knew the Coast Guard expected me to actually walk away with it, but competing at that level is no joke. Like these athletes are full time. Yeah. And, um, makes your fourth place win even more impressive by the way, because you were, you were doing both. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then the funny thing is like, there's all this lead up to the trials and I'm, I'm working and I'm, I'm, I'm working out and I'm racing on the weekends and practicing after work, trying to get out to the city and practice on the city front. And it was just so funny. Like the trials ended on a Sunday and like so much energy goes into that. It's 10 days of racing. It's 10 days of racing, like every day being on. And then the trials ended on Sunday. There was, you know, there was like a closing party and I went to work on Monday and like nobody knew any different, you know, and here I had just put my whole heart, soul and body on the line for the last two weeks. And I just show up my boss, even he didn't even kind of like, so how was the regatta? And I'm like, I finished fourth. Oh my goodness. He's like, you didn't win. And I was like, no, sir. And I just went back to my job like normal. Oh. I needed at least at least a week to decompress, which I never really got. But yeah, shoot, just kept my job. Coast Guard keeps you on the straight and narrow. <laughs> well, I can tell you, um, just because I have a very li- very little experience with a dinghy sailing team, um, I can tell you that you know, for listeners that don't have experience with that kind of sailing, it's a lot of work. It is a yeah. lot of work. And it is very competitive. That is a whole nother world of sports that doesn't get spoken about a lot, but it is yeah. intense. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm glad. Thank you for recognizing that. All right. So, well, then what happened next? So the Olympics happened. Um, what happened next with your career and that whole trajectory? Yeah. So I was very lucky. I, I had a great shore base command. Again, looking back, if I was just a normal officer, I was normal, normal officer. If I was just sort of like your run of the mill coasty that was taking any job available, it would have been fine. And I probably would have, I would have gotten out in my five-year mark as normal. Um, I had, I was, I was just made Lieutenant and it was time for me to transfer close to my five-year mark. And the detailer who was actually the ops boss on my ship called me and he's like, Krisha, we want you to stay in the Coast Guard. We want to give you this opportunity to race and train full time for 2004. You know, we'll pay you your normal lieutenant pay. We'll assign you to Alameda. So you'll get the Alameda BAH. And your job is going to be to go and train for the 2004 Olympics. And that was in 2002. Mm. And um, I couldn't take it. I didn't do it. I turned it down. Wow. I needed to do this on my own. I just felt like. Yeah, I, I, I was very surprised and my parents were like, it's up to you. But I felt for me, I wanted to do this on my own without like the burden of, I guess I was scared of failure and letting the Coast Guard down again. And I think that all kind of those feelings of, oh my God, I let my team down back at the academy, which hadn't, wasn't that long ago. It had only been five or six years. And I just really carried that weight on my back. And I just didn't want to be the face of failure if it didn't work out. Mm-hmm. And maybe that sounds cowardly looking back now, but I just really wanted to do this on my own. Yeah. I just, you know, I wanted, I, I wanted to live in my van and I wanted to travel cross country and I wanted to, you know, ship everything and my whole life over to Europe. I lived in my van in Europe for about a year, um, lived in my van 
commuting back and forth to Florida to train. And it was great. It was awesome. I didn't make it. I was second at the Olympic trials in 2004. So I was the first runner up Olympic. Oh, I like to say sexy is the Olympic alternate. So should, um, yeah. the, the woman who qualified for the Olympics in 04, should something have happened to her, I would have been the, you know, I would have gone. Um, but yeah, so I came home after the Olympic trials, a civilian and was like, all right, what's next? And I tried to keep sailing. I thought I was going to try and be like a paid sailor, a, prof- a professional sailor. Um, sailors were, racers were starting to get paid by individual boat owners to race with them. And I was starting to do a little bit of that, but it wasn't going to be enough for me to survive. And I knew that I eventually wanted to go back to school and probably kind of needed to start living a more normal life. Normal, quote unquote, that means get a normal job, go to an office, whatever that looked like. And that's what I did. I I packed up after I, I moved all my stuff back from Florida, back to California, lived with my parents for about six months. And was like, uh, I think I'm ready for a change. And I moved out to DC and got a job working for a government contractor. Mm. And, and, how did, and how did that go? I felt like a cog in a wheel or, a co- you know, I just felt like I, I missed the Coast Guard a lot. There wasn't the camaraderie. There wasn't the strong leadership. There wasn't the expectation for professional development and growth you're kind of on your own. And there were a lot of, don't get me wrong. Like there were a lot of driven people in DC, so many, but it's all on your own. There's not a, there's not this support from your company to, to help you get to where you want to be or where they think you should be. There's no, Mm. like you have all this potential, go for it. This is what we're going to do. It's, this is on your own. You go to school on your own, you make it happen in your off hours. And then the hurricanes hit of 2006, hurricane Katrina, Rita and Wilma, and I was, I was working, the contract I was working on was for FEMA at the time. And that was really amazing because I started running into my classmates who were supporting the um, recovery effort as liaisons, Coast Guard liaisons working for FEMA. I was seeing my classmates as the pilots who were rescuing people down in the Gulf and I just felt this calling to come back into the Coast Guard. I felt like I would, I belonged there. Um, I belonged to the, I wanted to be part of the organization. And that's when I felt that true sense of service. Wow. I wanted to be part of that again. I wanted that feeling of, I wanted to be part of something bigger than myself in support of something other than making money for a company. Wow. That's almost, a, that's like, what, like nine years after you graduated, huh? You went back. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Came it full is circle crazy. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And wow. so I came back in under the direct commission program and was junior all of a sudden, like way junior to my classmates. I was a little embarrassed about that because now I was, I, my first assignment back in the Coast Guard was at Sector Delaware Bay in Philadelphia. And I was now working for my one of my fourth class who was senior to me. So I, when I was the first day, he was a fourth class. And, um, that was really funny. And he immediately told me, he's like, he's like, Krisha, I'm really nervous that you're, you're, we're going to be in the same branch. And I'm like, you're my boss. It's okay. Like, it's great that we already have this relationship and we know each other. And he was very professional. Um, and it was awesome. And honestly, coming back into the Coast Guard was like, 
slipping on a comfortable pair of shoes. It was where I really felt like I fit in and belonged and I felt at home. It's not like the job isn't easy. Yeah. Um, and you definitely have to navigate your way, especially as you get more senior and as you, you know, you have get married and have a partner or, or just have a partner and then have children. Like it's especially a partner who's a civilian. Um, yeah. like it's hard to navigate, but like, I love this service and there's a, they have, you know, there's a lot of things that aren't perfect about it, but, um, I want to help make it better. Mm. I love that you were humble enough to do that and go back. My parents thought I was crazy because I remember telling them when I got out the first time, I remember telling them, I said, please, mom and dad, if I ever, if there's ever a hint of me wanting to go back in the Coast Guard, please stop me and tell me how hard it was. Remind me how tough my ship was. And I remember telling them, I was living in DC, they were still in California. And I was like, hey, I'm thinking about applying to the direct commission program so I can get, get my commission back. And my dad was like, do you want me to tell you what you told me the day when you got out of the Coast Guard, <laughs> when you resigned your commission the first time? And I'm like, I know, dad it's all, it's different now. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and they're, you know, they, they support me, whatever I, if, if I wanted to go like walk the Appalachian trail for the rest of my life, they would have supported me. They're awesome. Yeah. I, I love though that you took that little break though, because right from the very beginning, your focus was sailing and it seemed like you needed to go. And like you said, do that on your own, kind of, you know, see that through in your own way to maybe then realize this other thing that you built up this whole time since you were in college. I mean, it's just, it's cool. It's awesome actually how it all worked yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Yeah. And I wasn't, while I wasn't successful in getting to the Olympics, it was really like, I cherish that experience and yeah. going for it. Right. It like, sounds awesome. Yeah. 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 Super disappointing, and I tried to make up for it in other areas. Um, I, I still actively race. Um, you know, I still find I, I love racing. I love going sailing with my family. I do anything I can to get out on the water. My long-term goal now is that, you know, I have kids and a husband, and once I retire from the Coast Guard, we're going to untie the lines, and we're going to go take our kids cruising, and we're going to give our kids a couple of years at sea. Oh my goodness. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So that now that's, that's the amazing. new goal. Oh yeah. All your skill sets will come together. And during that time. Um, so, okay. So, so tell me, so you're, you're back in the Coast Guard. Where are you now and what's next for you? So I've had an amazing second Coast Guard career. Um, Coast Guard afforded me the opportunity to go to grad school and work as a full-time student. Um, I had amazing experiences becoming a prevention officer, um, leading teams out in the field, doing inspections, um, working with industry, the maritime industry, um, making sure that facilities and vessels are in compliance and know how to follow the rules and what's required of them federally. Um, just, just lots of relationship building in my world of work, which I love. And now I'm, so my last assignment was as the chief of the inspection division at Sector San Francisco back at home. It's nice to be home again. I'm serving now as the personnel programs branch chief for PAC area, for PAC area theater, kind of an HR role. Not my favorite, but I did it for my husband who had a great job locally. And now I'm up for 05 this summer 
In fact, the board is sitting now deciding whether or not I'll, I advance, but hopefully I make it. And now my husband and I are looking at really great opportunities for my career. He's been super supportive. We were, we, I, I was, I was nervous because, um, I, I always kind of focused like where should we go to support you know him and his job so he has some stability but now he's like let's go for it so I'm looking wow. at different you know department have if I make go five there's some great opportunities for the opportunity to, to serve at some senior leadership command you know positions mm. um, so just going for it and see what happens and yeah. not letting geography hold me back. Because now awesome. there there isn't that hurdle anymore. And when did the hus- when did your husband and your kids come into the equation? Later in life, um, my husband and I actually we got together. I guess when I was in my early thirties, we we lived together for a long time. We were together ten years before we got married, and then I had my kids. My my youngest, my older daughter, my older kiddo is she's almost six. And I had her when I was 39 and my son I had when I was 41. So recent, we got a young family. I love it. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. All right. So, okay. Now looking back, uh, how do you feel after everything we just talked about, how do you feel about your decision to attend the Coast Guard Academy? I'm so happy I did it. Honestly, I know I, I look back, I cherish the friendships I have. I cherish the opportunities that, that the school, that the academy set me up for, good, um, good and bad. Like I've had so many amazing experiences. Um, the opportunity to serve and work in amazing locations between and grow as a professional, not only as a Coast Guard officer, um, but also as like a person who's, you know, leading teams, um, and learning interesting things. I don't think I, I really wouldn't change that. And Pete, yeah. Was the Academy hard? Yes, it was absolutely hard. Like, I feel like I sucked at it. And, and did I get treated meanly by some of the guys? Yes. And people ask me, would you encourage your kids to go there? And I'm like, heck yes. Mm. Look at what I was, look what I've been able to do because of, of cert of going to the Academy. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there is a lot you, I, I feel like I'm one of those kids. I had a lot of grit already, you know, cause I was a competitive athlete, but that place makes you stronger if you yeah. don't let it get to you. If you had to sum up your time at the Academy in one word, what would it be? Explosive. Explosive. Yeah. So tell me, tell me what that means to you. I just feel like it means to me that while the Academy at times was trying, it was really eye-opening and, and it just let me be able to just explode into who I am. I don't know. That seems, it, it was just like, it was just a launching pad and it was, you know, big trampoline that just enabled me to, to just, jump off and do, do whatever I wanted. I had a very, the thing is I'm very lucky. I had a clear vision in my mind, what I wanted to achieve. And so the Academy was what let me 
you know, explode into doing that. But it also helped you, like you said it so beautifully, it was like you exploded into who you are and you even described how all of a sudden you had this new found appreciation for your culture and your, your parents and like your identity. And so it's like, you exploded in so many ways. It makes perfect sense. That's a great word. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's a great word. I love it. Um, All right, Krisha, do you have any parting words for listeners, perhaps a key message for your fellow service Academy sisters? Yeah, I, you know, I, I really, I admire every single one of every, every single one of you. Um, we are sisters. We are bonded by our experiences. We may have never met before, but that bond knowing we relate because of what we went through together during those four years and what we did after graduation, we've all done something really incredibly special and, um, overcoming whatever it is in life to, to get to where we are. Mm -hmm. And I just admire all the stories. I really do. You know, from Academy cadets to, to officers, to stay at home moms, to, you know, just professionals in industry. Uh, There's just no limit to what we can do. Awesome. Awesome. And let's end on a fun note. What is one random fun fact about you that you can share? I love to sing. I love to sing and dance. And my kids get so mad when I sing, quote unquote, their songs. And I have taken up learning to play the ukulele. And it's my, it's my outlet to, uh, to sing while I play an instrument. Uh, that's awesome. I love what's, <laughs> what's one of your favorite songs to sing? Right now I'm learning the song Rainbow by uh, Casey Musgraves. And it's a huh. really nice song. That's awesome. I love it. All right. Well, Krisha, it was awesome talking to you. Can you let listeners know where they can, where they can reach you? Yeah, I'm in Alameda, California. Um, I'm on Facebook and you can LinkedIn me, just Krisha Pohl, K-R-Y-S-I-A. My last name is Pohl, P-O-H-L. Awesome. I'll put those links in the show notes for everybody. And uh, I really appreciate you sharing your story with the Service Academy Sorority. Thank you so much, Victoria. It was really nice talking with you. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to visit the Service Academy Sorority website to see photos, comprehensive show notes, and contact information for each guest. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. In addition, if you enjoy what you heard here today, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. And if you'd like to be featured on an upcoming episode, please feel free to submit your contact information on our website at www.serviceacademysorority.com.